0: I'm so glad you're here. This is it for this semester. We're dragging this out. This is week 29. Wow. Um, and we are going to be going into the spring, just so you know. Um, and I, I don't I don't know how far into the spring we're going. We might use them all up, but like I said last time, I definitely want to take us to today uh, and just kind of track uh, the different religious movements and how we got to where we are right now, and we're actually doing that. I was thinking, I wanted to know, if I was contemplating going right to the um, Second Great Awakening, to keep it religious in that way, but I have to do a little bit on the revolution. and t- I'm doing it from a different, pers- not th- from a religious perspective. This isn't going to be a course on... The birthing of America and the Constitution—that's a whole course in and of itself. As a matter of fact, at our session meeting the other night, Aaron um, is thinking about—he's probably going to do after his First Peter Bible study in five years. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's claiming that he's going to be done after in spring. Um, we'll see. We'll <laughs> see how that goes. <laughs> but he does want to do a class on the Bible and the Constitution. So that might be something worth um, checking out, and it'll get much deeper than this, obviously. So so we're just going to kind of look at the religious influence, participation of the church, uh, especially the Puritans tonight. I don't know how long it's, we're going to go. <clears throat> it shouldn't be too long. Um, also, when we come back, Lord willing, in the springtime, the first class will probably be... Um, America or Christian history and slavery and that whole issue there. And then we'll probably go to the Second Great Awakening uh, right after that. But for tonight, Religion and the Revolution. Again, just some of the influences. This is going to be a deep dive or anything like that into um, uh, the history of the of, of civics or, or the war, or the, or the, the Constitution or the Declaration or anything like that, which is kind of an overview. So let's pray. And we'll get to it. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much again. Just love this group. Those that are tuning in, those that are here, Lord, uh, we do want to lift up Kevin and Joy and ask that you grant them traveling mercies as they head to Missouri, Lord God. And just pray for that situation that you would be with them and comfort them. I do want to um, also pray for Sandy and her husband. Just pray that you would keep them, give them comfort, Lord, and healing. as they battle illness. Also for Luke and Meg, as we wait word on um, the foster fostering situation, Lord God, just pray that that goes in the way that you would have a good, Lord God, um, and we would be satisfied with that. So bless this class tonight, and just pray that it would be informative, it would be helpful, and just give us greater appreciation for your good hand of providence uh, throughout history. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Jason is here. Oh, here. It's a light cloud. Well, Tony's messed up, but Tony's not here tonight. His knees bothering him. Um, yeah. A couple other people are out, so it's just us. Although, it's is a pretty good crowd. Oh, it is. Yeah, we're filling in, all right? Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> so we picked off from last week. So we left off last week. The last words we heard from that dude was, let's go, Brandon, the first words we heard this week. Okay, so let's get into our lesson here. Um, just another, um, real quick on, on your outline. This outline isn't as as extensive as some or some of them usually are. There's going to be a lot that I say that's not under any heading in your outline. So if you could fill in with your notes, if you'd like to do that, I kept that brief as well. So uh, let's just start with a background leading up to the Revolutionary War. Um, just. Just what was going on? Kind of what was the context leading up to that in America? Just a couple fun facts. First of all, uh, at that time, America was experiencing great, great, great population growth. Uh, this was There was real prosperity going on, a lot of trade. People were making lots of money. And England that wasn't lost on the motherland, that, that's for sure. Um, real opportunity to gain property and, and, and just expand. And so this was kind of the, becoming the place to be. Um, in the mid 1700s, so for instance, in 1713, the total kind of population from England, uh, Western Europe, and that in that area coming over was about 300,000. By 1760, it was 1. 1.6 million, and then by 1776, it was 3 million. Those are big numbers for that time. So this it was uh, opening up new territories. The beginnings of westward migration. We'll talk more about that when we come back in the spring, Lord willing. But just filled with adventure, filled with opportunity. It truly was the, and well, I'm saying past tense was the land of opportunity. We'll see if it remains that. Um, also, as we think about the, the Revolutionary War, there 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 were effects from the Great Awakening that helped really kind of and again, this is a spiritual perspective, kind of galvanized the the colonies a little bit um, in in some ways, especially with with Whitfield. So some of the effects were, for instance, before the Great Awakening, most people were still tied to England when they came over here. They didn't see themselves as Americans, they saw themselves as Englishmen in the colonies, that kind of thing, and they still had loyalty to to the crown and, and to England, to be sure. Um, if you remember, several lessons ago, even the Puritans were, were writing back to the, the, the king of England and you know, expressing their loyalty to, to the crown and, and so forth. So it wasn't... Uh, they, they still saw themselves as an extension of, of England in many ways. And you can even see it in the names of, of the places when they came over. New England, right? Um, Providence, oh, these places, New York... Um, places in England that are just, you know, brought over here, they just put new in front of it, right, for the most part, and so, um, but there there was that, they kind of still tied to the motherland, Um, and then also, in addition, before the Great Awakening, there were no real connections between other colonies, okay, they were mostly Englishmen, English people coming over, but... They came over for different reasons, and even if they were the same reasons, if they were religious, there were different religions, as, as it were, in that way. So, of course, you had the Puritans up in New England, um, but then you had the, the Quakers in Pennsylvania, right? So you had different different groups in, 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 in Maryland, some Roman Catholics, um, the Carolinas, especially, in, I think, South Carolina, wasn't very religious at all. And they were here for, for opportunity too, All of them to a degree, some more than than others, but there was nothing really that kind of um, brought them together. They were like independent states almost in in many ways. Different outlooks, um, different principles in in, in different ways. Uh, Again, so more looking back to England than looking north to south. Now, after the Great Awakening, and this isn't just all dramatic and all at once, but you had this Things started to shift, and that's when we started to become, in God's providence, more American in in that way. So after the Great Awakening, there was more interest in other colonies. And why would that be? It was just, you know, God was changing lives in different places. And these people, for whatever reasons, they, they came here. Now they're being converted as Christians, so now I'm interested as, as a new believer, and in, in not just in, in our area, as, as people are being converted, but also in the other colonies. Like, what's going, what's going on in Philadelphia? You know, what's going on in, in, in Virginia? Even what's going on in Savannah? As they start, uh, different people, people in different places are brought to the same faith. And that was a phenomenon. And who was at the heart of that? I mean, it was the Lord, obviously, but who did he use? Who was his instrument to do that? Up north, yeah, Edwards, but who was the dude that went everywhere? <laughs> Whitfield was the man. Whitfield was the man that was used by the Lord. So so people from Boston to Georgia knew George Whitfield. Like everybody knew about Whitfield and everybody knew about his preaching. And so it spread. So so all the way down. So you start looking north and south a little bit and not as much back to England. So from, from New England to Georgia, people wanted to know what was going on. Um, that's another little factor, another little piece as we're, as we're coming together. Also, in the 1760s, there was more concerns, big-time concerns, especially from the Puritans and the Presbyterians, that the king in England was seriously considering uh, installing a bishop of the Church of England here in the Americas. Now, you might say, what's the big deal with that? That's a big deal. It was a big deal then, um, there, there were Anglicans here who I'm sure wouldn't have minded but other groups, like even the dissenting groups, like the Quakers and the Mennonites uh, the Quakers, um, the Moravians they, uh, you know the Catholics, they, they didn't want a bishop Methodists. to come, what's that meant? The Methodists. the Methodists they don't want a bishop to, to come here because that's going to mean it's going to be this, this is going to be like England now and we're going to be under the rule of the, the to the state and church in that way. So, so there were big time concerns um, and that kind of galvanized, even if you had different theological perspectives, these groups that they don't want a bishop to be appointed to uh, America, um, an Anglican bishop. Um, that, that was actually called the great fear of the episc- episcopacy. Right? They, there was a they didn't want that here they didn't want to turn this back into, to England where you had that you know, bishop um, with the authority of the church in in that way um, in America so that's another thing um, leading up to, to the revolution then you had the Townsend tax program Um this was a series of taxes that were enacted to bring more income to England from the colonies. It wasn't lost on England, what was going on in the colonies and how much they were producing. So, of course, they wanted more money in that way. So they established all kinds of... Now, this is going to sound very familiar. <laughs> they established new taxes on everything, You know all the imports, including paper, paint, lead, glass, and, of course, tea. You know where that led. Um, this, this, was, this was not part of the Townsend Act, but there were, there were all kinds of other taxes. For instance, the stamp tax, and that is Parliament's first direct tax on American colonies. So in other words, they would tax things like newspapers, pamphlets, legal documents, mayor's licenses. You had to have a stamp of approval to, for it to be approved, for it to be legally effective, Right, and so that just brought all kinds of uh, revenue to. Otherwise, you can get in trouble for that. They actually England actually established uh, what was called the American Customs Board, based in Boston, to collect taxes and to look out for. So they they were ramping this up again. As as much as things changed, they they kind of stay the same. We can see that. This actually this under the Townsend Act, it gave British. Officials the right to search homes and businesses of colonists. Go ahead. That was a big point of contention because they had a Continental Congress.
1: Yes. And Parliament was trying to enforce their authority overseas when there was already an established government that was loyal to the king that represented the
0: colonies. Yes, but that wasn't enough, and so they they were bringing. And so now you can see this is like wait a minute. I, well, you're already getting mad, aren't you? Right now, I could see your, feel your blood boiling. You know, I'm just like no, this isn't my, coming into my house, coming into my business, enforcing this. These, this. So this, and on top of all that, as Chad was just alluding to, the, the colonists were not allowed any representation in British Parliament, so there was nobody to speak for the Americas there. Well we're being taxed. Out the wazoo, if you want to put it that way, and because they knew what was going on here with the prosperity, so there's the you know well, of course the taxation without representation was unconstitutional. Um, so so and and then you had the Americans seeking more freedom and more independence, while England was demanding more and more. So you know just you could just see it begin to come. England was kind of broke because of the French War. They the French they wanted them to pay for. And that's a big deal, too. And, and I, the West, no Western settlement leader. That's right. And they don't want to, I didn't want to get way into that tonight, because I don't want. this is not going to be a history civics lesson, but you're right on that as well. So these are just factors leading up uh, that, that kind of galvanize. And again, if you see it in God's providence, you can see it coming together in this way. But when you think about the revolution itself, um, I want you to think of it this way. And I really got a lot from uh, Robert Gottfried on this. Uh, he, he's speaking to the revolution as, a, as a, the American revolution was a very conservative approach as far as revolutions go. <laughs> conservative and revolution don't usually go together. <laughs> when there's a revolution that changes everything, but especially with the influence of the Puritans, they understood, man, they were mindful of Romans 13 and they weren't like throwing the scriptures away, but They did reason through the scriptures, just kind of like we're doing today, with some of the stuff that we're facing and the mandates that are coming down, and this and that and the other thing, and how much authority does the government have over us, and what is that? So, so they they were back in Romans 13, and so they they were really considering like, what grounds could we oppose the magistrate? Because we still are loyal to, to to the king to a degree, but understanding Romans 13, and I say correctly. I say, but you know, I'm not the only one. (laughs) The magistrate can be opposed when that magistrate becomes a tyrant. Because the subjects have a responsibility to the magistrate, for sure, we do, and to be submissive insofar as we are able to biblically, um, as as we ought to be. And that's where some of the rub comes in, even among Christians. Now, what's that mean? Like, how far do we go? Um, You know, so so that's kind of where we have those internal struggles. But, but for the Puritans, certainly, they understood that the rulers have a responsibility to the subjects as well because they are God's deacons. They are appointed there by God, and they are they're called to rule in a specific and certain way. When they go out of that lane, or too far out of that lane, well, there's some would say there's a responsibility on the subject's part to actually dissent in that way. So in their estimation, the king... For some of the things we just talked about a little, and just very briefly, but in many other ways, the king had violated the rights of his subjects. So, they believed, on biblical grounds, and this is the Puritans especially, they believed that they had a right to declare independence, and they were looking to Cromwell as well, we talked about him um, the right to declare independence and to take up arms in order to defend those rights. Does that make sense? Again, this is a really, really brief overview, uh, and I just want to bring this out, give this perspective to you tonight. Um, but as far as the revolution, go, in the minds of, of all those involved, of all the founding fathers, the, the, the Puritans and their influence that they had, especially... Um, it wasn't about, and here's the difference: it wasn't about tearing down. When you think about revolution and what's going on right now, today, whether we realize it or not, at least there's a temp- there's a revolution going on. And the idea behind revolution is to tear down existing structures, the existing systems that are in place for whatever reason you find them unjust. You, you can make up your reasons for revolution. Tear those down, then impose new ones. Okay, so you have your own structure, system based on your ideology, that's what a revolution does. It turns, it, it, it gets rid of, it seeks to get rid of. So, for Black Lives Matter, in our day, that's exactly how they see themselves. And especially early on when they had everything printed out on their website, that they were very plain about that. Tear down the existing structures in the name of this, this, and this, and then build a new one. That's a revolution, okay? That's, that's um, th- those always end badly. Think of the French Revolution. This, that's what they wanted to do. They'd tear down the structures, tear everything down, and, and kind of build up um, from there. Then you ended up with Napoleon and that didn't go so well. Uh, eventually uh, ended up with Napoleon, that didn't go so well. Um, you think about with the Marxists. Any kind of Marxist, communist revolution, where, how does it end? Oppression, suppression of truth, threats of violence, actual violence, um, inequity, inequality under the law. That's what you have. Collapse. That's one of my words here. Corruption, poverty, division, death. Okay. And, and again, just saying we're not going to get off on a tangent, but we're kind of finding ourselves in the midst of that. That's why we get so mad when we see these reports like what? That's that's so plain to see. That's just so just. The law is very clear. There, no, it's not, because that law doesn't apply anymore. That's a it, that's a law that for the revolutionaries that's an inequitable kind of law. So we're going to put a new one in, right? So that's what they do, and that's that's it. Always ends badly. It always ends up. they they, they promise utopia mm-hmm. if you just do it our way. You could go back in history. The revolutionaries, they promised a utopia. They end up creating a living hell all the time, every time. So the American Revolution wasn't like that. They weren't about tearing down to replace with new, but they were about protecting and maintaining God-given rights, traditions, and ideals. Do you understand? That's a big deal. So it wasn't like, you know, we're going to just tear this down and and build something new. They had started to build something. They wanted to maintain that. And they wanted that equal rights, liberty, pursuit of happiness, justice for all. So that was at the core. And this was really on on a a biblical foundation, especially for the Puritans. So they they sought not only to establish, but also maintain personal rights, political and religious freedom. When you have other revolutions, when people put themselves in the place as God, what happens to personal rights? They... uh, what happens to political and religious freedom? It's gone. And they come after the churches all the time, after the real Christians. So the Revolutionary War goes to the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, all of that to, to um, create, to help promote and maintain, insofar as we're able, peace, prosperity, um, equality, opportunity, for all. And that's part of what's made America so great. Okay, so I'm getting into the civics again, so we're gonna uh, go out. Um, but that this really united the colonies into one nation. That's when we started to talk about America, you know, as as a nation. Now you still had the states with their independence until we've been very recently in, in history, everything's become mono what what is it? <laughs> kind of one mouth. It wasn't like this, man. But Even back in the 70s, you'd go to another state you thought you were in, like in another country sometimes. And they had their laws, which was a good thing, not necessarily a bad thing. Oh, you don't have a McDonald's down here? No. Um, you know, just that everybody had their state's rights. And, and that was local and that was good. But now everything's homogenized, right? We just have everything kind of one. doesn't matter where you go. Mm-hmm. Same store, same this, same that. In a way, it's kind of cool because it's comforting in some ways. In other way, it's very scary because it's so... Uh, monolithic, and you don't have the individuality or, or like even the states with their distinctions. So, that's another... I'm, I'm getting off on a list Just go and ahead. The loose, the loose relationship, the
1: loose association between the states is what actually made America so united. Yes. You can maintain your individuality yes. in the states you want, and not have
0: those rights trampled by other states, and now it's, it's not like that, so you, you get like a split. Yeah. And that's again. That's kind of where we're where we are heading. And, and there are other reasons to that as well, because the government's become so corrupt, so far away from our original um, basic foundation that our laws are built on, federal and state. And but that's that's another story as well. So uh, the United Colonies into one. Um, also, what I'm going to talk about a little bit is because we're Americans, and there's and there's something. <coughs> To being an American, but we're also Christians. But what are we first? Are we Christians first or Americans first? Are we Americans first or Christians first? Are we both really equally at the same time type of thing? We're Christians first. That's, that's why we do. We are Christians first. I love America, and we we're, we are so thankful for so many things that we've been afforded in this country, and, and we're patriotic in that way. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just like everybody, you know, people are paid. They love their country. We're the only ones who aren't allowed to love our country anymore or fly. Um, but ultimately, we're Christians, and we're not in a, by any stretch, a, a you know, perfect nation. Um, maybe Post Mills are working towards that, but right now we're still kind of, you know, we have our flaws. But um, as Christians, we're our, our loyalty is to Christ, and, and He is. we want to do everything. Everything is under subject to him, but as his people, we want to make sure people know that that Christ is king overall, not America. It's not, you know, America, God, God, and, and country. Uh, yes and no, okay? But it's God first for us. It's not like I'm, I'm, I'm a, or I'm an American, which means I'm a Christian, right? Or something like that, no. Um, you kind of had that at the beginning here. You had the Puritans and you had the Republicans, now the Republicans here are a little bit different. It's not like you think of our two parties today. Republicanism was kind of the the um, founding kind of movement that the, the where you had the conservative values towards building a nation, um, understanding that morality is needed, understanding that you know you needed different um, uh, bodies within government checks and balances and so forth so so it's not like. Hopefully, Republicans would be in the tradition of Republicanism, but that's even another yeah. the one to write, Chad. Yeah. <laughs> Chad, like, he <laughs> loves American history, so he's like shaking his yeah. head and said, So, you know, what do you want to say to that?
1: Yeah, the Republicanism that you speak of is basic, based on the
0: Republican form of government. Yes. Republican. Yes. Representative democracy. And that's what we are. So, and, and the values that, that begin with that and, and extend from, from all that. Smart. Yeah, a not a large
1: catalog. For Republicanism. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, good. That's a good way to put it, too. So you have just a little bit of a distinction between the Puritans and Re- Puritanism and Republicanism, because there is a distinction. And I think it's important, because we as Christians, I, think, I hope we would come down on the Puritan side of this, and we better. Um, and then, and it's, I'm, I'm making maybe even more of a sharper distinction than I should... Or maybe not enough. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But, but listen, the issues facing the colonists were, um, whether they were Christian or not, was number one, the relationship between the colonies and the British Empire, and that was kind of solved with the Revolutionary War. And then also the form of government in America, which eventually was resolved in 1787 and moving forward in Philadelphia. So, uh, I, again... We could, we could spend a whole semester on this, and I, I would like to do that. Or they'll sit under somebody else teaching this part of it. But, but anyway, um, the conviction that, um, but, most everybody's under the conviction that there needs to be power invested in people. You need to, people need to have power in order to govern. You know, to have political bodies, you have to have a measure of power, right? So if I'm gonna be there, uh even as a pastor, there's a measure of power, delegated authority that we have, uh, given to us even by the congregation um, in, in that way. But, but but for political bodies, in order to get things done, they need to have a measure of power. But power left unchecked will always lead to? Abuse. Yes, abuse. Correct. That's that's it just, that's just the way it goes. It's the racetrack theory of mine. It's always leaning left. It's always pulling to the left. Right? Right? Uh, you're going to have uh, uh, with, with, with that corruption and, and abuse, that, that loss of freedom eventually breakdown in laws um, and, and enforcing laws, loss of rights, rights that you know ultimately are governed by God in that way. So the Republicans, Puritans, they did believe in representative government, right? Representative republic. Uh, The social contract, we're not going to talk about that with John Loth, it's kind of the idea. There's an agreement as as the people elect their their government officials and that that whole theory that government by the people, um, of the people, for the people. So that's kind of understood. The, the, The Puritans, the Republicans all understood that you need a moral foundation right that has to be is, that, is this making sense so far I'm just trying to get a little bit of, we're getting into the difference um, because not not all the founding fathers by any stretch of the imagination were Christian right most most were what if you, if you remember deists. Deists. most were deists um, it, you have to remember this is the coming this is the enlightenment still come in, in that age of, of science and rational and rationality um you know, so so the idea of some of what Scripture teaches may have seemed more superstitious or fairy tale-ish to them at this point because now they're coming into this age of enlightenment. Uh, you know, we, we know better now with science. But we're we're learning more about these things, and so-called miracles can now be explained in this way. And you know, um, so we so, so 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 they were rationalist, humanists, agnostics, even. Um, but they still understood the need for morality. They still understood that the, the separation of powers, checks and balances, as opposed to concentrated power, and, and that's, that was good on, on everybody's part. Um, but when you compare the, the Puritans and, and the Republicans, as it were, and some Puritans I and mean, Republicans, just like we're, we're Christians, but we're still American conservatives, you know. It, But try to make that distinction. So, for instance, for the Puritans, man, they understood, just like we understand, that our fallenness in Adam is the root cause of sin and corruption. We know that. We know where that corruption comes from. We know the sinful nature of man. And we know that nobody's immune from that. As Christians, we're transformed by Christ, obviously. But if you're not in Christ, that, you know, that's that's where the trouble comes from, from our sinful nature and Adam, the, the cure to that, or the, the hope is the gospel and that. We understand that. The Puritans understood that. But the Republicans, who didn't necessarily believe in God in that way, the biblical God like the Puritans did, they believed that it was man's natural tendency to abuse power. Okay, now where does that come from? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Puritans got it right, but but if you're, if you're not going to hold it you know, sin, the way the Bible defines it. We just know the nature of man. He kind of tends towards that anyway, abusing power. See, but you see the difference there? They kind of get to the same place, but just in a different way. Um, I think ultimately that costs us, obviously, because you can, you can still have morality, but, but once somebody comes with something else and has a really good argument for it, if you don't have biblical arguments to counter that, you'll end up going that way. I think that's kind of what happened uh, to us. Um, so but also uh, freedom for the Puritans the freedom is for the Puritans and for Christians really begins with freedom from sin in Christ so that's where our freedom that's ultimate freedom that we are free from um, sin as they've been forgiven in Christ from you know the, the, the power of Satan right um in, in the world in, in that way, right? That's where our, that's where true freedom comes from, and you could, you could go from there to live an obedient life, right, and, and establish laws in that way. Freedom for Republicans was really freedom from tyranny so as to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. So they're not going to say, well, it begins with freedom from sin. Well, with freedom from sin, then we can pursue life, liberty, and happiness in that way. For these guys... For, the, for most of the deists, it was more like freedom from tyranny, from you know, people forcing concentrated um, authority in that way. See? Do you see the difference? And So, so even today, we have like Republicans who would still be conservative, and they might still believe the same things we do to a degree, um, but they're going to have like a different starting point for that. Like, as we would say it's because of the sin nature, obviously. So just people are, you know, they're wrong for doing that. Now I agree, you know, that this is wrong and that's wrong, but when you really push them, they're not going to be able to say exactly why. Does that make sense? You can't say why exactly. Um, so you might have conservative people don't that believe abortion's wrong. Ultimately, why is abortion wrong? We know why. People say, you know, they might even you know, acknowledge this, acknowledge that. And that it's wrong on this level, and that level. That ultimately, it comes out to be image bearers of God. If you're conservative and you don't have a biblical worldview, then you're going to have to tweak that just a little bit. Does that make sense? Uh, the, it's the Puritan worldview too. Is is ultimately we're in a spiritual battle, all right? We we know why. Governments are the way they are because man is sinful, man is corrupt, man wants to have power. Man wants to be God. He wants to be God and, and, and have his realm and his authority, right? We understand the nature of the battle ultimately, ultimately to be spiritual. We do not war against flesh and blood but against principalities, against evil. It's the evil one who's behind this, who's driving this. And when you see like the evil that that's, that's among us, ab- around us, you can see that. So... Um, so Olinsky's book, what's that? Rules for radicals. Those thirteen rules. Guess who that book is dedicated to? Satan. That's right. And if you read those, if you go through those those thirteen rules for radicals, you can see the deception. You can see every the attributes of Satan in that. You know, lying, subtlety, um, using a little bit of the truth. Like the, like the first rules, you know, make make people think that you that you're bigger than you really are. You know, that's that's a deception right there. Yeah. So it gets back to saying. A Lie for long enough, becomes the truth. Exactly, big time, and that's a, that's a big deal. Um, so so you see that in play, and I think uh, as Christians, we get that and we can see that, and we can spot that. It's like, man, don't people see what's happening? If you're if you're an aware Christian, if you're a way Christian, if you know your Bible Christian, you can see what's happening. And that's what's so frustrating because we don't feel we have that voice or like to speak truth into that plain truth. There are Christians that are able to do that, people that have a form and, and actually take advantage of that to one degree or another. Um, but nevertheless, it's still frustrating as we see this. So, But that's that spiritual worldview that we hold as Christians as opposed to a lot of the Republicans if they're deists or rationalists, um, humanists, they're not going to see it that way. So for them, their worldview is going to be come down to like liberty versus tyranny,
1: which is a result
0: of you know that fall and so We agree with that, but you see that that's why we're Christians first. Instead of saying you know um, I'm, I'm a conservative and I'm an American Republican in that way, before that we're Christians because we have a, a, a deeper world a, a worldview that. Is embedded in scripture. Now they, they wouldn't necessarily disagree with everything, but our worldview is comes from scripture itself. And that's that's what we that's what we start with. That's our presupposition. Does that make sense? Okay. This is, this is just I'm just saying this is kind of what's going on at, at this time. And so as, a, as a Puritans, we would agree like with the Republicans in, in that way. Um, but there would, there would be a difference. Christians could say that Republicans were borrowing from the Christian worldview. They just didn't go deep enough. And I would still say that, right? Because both longed for a time where both righteousness and freedom would reign. And it's just interesting to know that so many of the, of, of the religious leaders, the Puritans and others, Jonathan Edwards and others, had a post-millennial view of the end times. And so they really... Sought and, and looked for a time when there would be this golden age there, there would be a Christianization of of the world. At least have Christian ethos, which is better than not, right? Because <laughs> we're trying to find out what it's like to not have a Christian ethos or um, kind of influence in the world. That start you're going to have some kind of influence. Best to have a Christian one, even if people don't agree, because that's that's changing. Um, and, and so the a lot of the the, human, the humanists had that ideal too for a better humanity, you know that freedom, that religious, the pursuit of happiness, that kind of thing. That kind, that's kind of eschatological. You're looking for that golden age in, in this time in this life. So, you know, just, just pointing that out a little bit of difference. I thought that was very interesting. I like that the Puritan ethos ethos uh, set the tone for the Patriots for sure. Um, they knew that their cause was just, so they did. They, they justified the, the, the revolutionary war because they were just. That this was unrighteous what the king was doing and England was doing and imposing this. So, and you had Puritan preachers uh, preaching that you know that, that as, as public servants um, were to live sacrificial lives and, and live for one another. Um, uh, you had you had preachers that would preach perseverance in the face of real a- adversity. You know, so the idea was, look, God brought us here. He brought us to this wilderness. We're making it. We're turning it into something. And he has seen us through in this way um, in his providence. So we want to work hard and trust God. And so even when we're up against amazing you know, odds that we should be getting crushed, we're going to persevere. We're going to continue to fight. We're going to continue to rely on God and his providence. And we know all the stories that like you can see God's providence. What was the one um, with, with Washington when they were crossing... So, with, with the fog and the, the British troops they would have seen them and but providentially they went at this time when this fog just kind of lifted so they weren't seen and they were able to win that battle I, all kinds of stories like that you can see God's hands of providence uh, New England preachers especially they preach powerful patriotic sermons uh, they would preach to the militia they would go to the camps many uh, Puritan pastors served as chaplains as well uh, for the militia, and and so that was um, you know notable patriotic sermon preached by John Witherspoon who was at Prince, at Princeton. Witherspoon was an Irish Presbyterian. Um, in in May of 1776, and I'm just going to tell you the title of this sermon. I always struggle to come up with titles for my sermons, and I, I I confess I don't put a lot of time into it necessarily, unless I you know really moved in that way. Sometimes I'm just thinking, okay. <laughs> Providence or something, you know, whatever that is. But check out the title of this sermon. Uh, quote, The Dominion of Resisting Unjust Tyranny and the Necessity of Believing that God Could Bring Good Out of the Evil Situation of the Day. That's a nice sermon <laughs> title. <laughs> I can read. I'm, I didn't bring my book again. Yeah, I read her, yeah. Yeah. Well, I used to see titles of their books, you know, the Puritan books. The, the titles might, they're like, this, okay. yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, they always have to shorten them up, abbreviate them. So, um, but you know what, after two, less than two months after preaching this sermon, as a delegate from New Jersey, Witherspoon became the first clergyman to sign the Declaration of Independence. Um, I think the only clergyman. So, so you, again, this is, this is going on um, spiritually be, you know, amongst this in this way. On the other side, Joe, you did have some loyalists, and uh, about one third of the people that have had, um, come over, emigrated, or came to America to the colonies uh, remained loyal to the king and were against the war. They were used by the British in different ways um, to kind of undermine the, the effort, um, and also the, the loyalists were joined by the good old pacifists. Um, <laughs> is anybody here a pacifist? I mean, I, these guys drive me nuts. I mean, I love them because they're sweet. But man, <laughs> come on, dude. There's got to be a time where you got to take a stand. You've yeah, got two kinds of pacifists.
1: You have the, the true pacifists, which would be the ones that will do violence even
0: you know, on principle.
1: Yes. And then there's the functional pacifists, which is another
0: yeah, well, these uh, I admire the true, pa- obviously the true pacifists in that way. In so far as they're sticking to their principles, the, the cowards that you know they're just afraid for their lives. The true pacifists they'll die for and they get in trouble for what they believe in. And so they 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 actually have courage in that way, and that, that is admirable. I don't agree with it at all, but I appreciate that more. I can't stand the people who just use that as an excuse, just like with anything else because of their own fear we're not going to get this we're not doing this because they're afraid and they'll say other things they try to put that uh, veneer of bravery over their cowardice doesn't go it doesn't set well but the pacifists were cool because they at least believed what they uh, did you know they believed in that so so again they, they questioned the taking up of arms and they were very sincere they criticized the, the use of force they did do that Um the Quakers were the most outspoken, but you had the Mennonites, the Moravians, some Methodists as well. Um, what they did do, and what was notable about many of the pacifist groups, especially the Quakers, during the war, is they, they did provide um, relief and service to combatants of both sides. So they, they, they tended to the wounded, of both sides, and they helped um, shelter or house, you know, soldiers from from both sides. So, so they were true to to that. Um, there were there there was the story of the three Mennonite farmers near Lancaster, PA, who actually gave food and shelter to several British soldiers who had escaped from the colonists' camp. So they they brought in these fugitives. So what do you do about that? I mean. Um, and they had their scriptures, you know. I mean, they, they, they certainly did, and, and their reasons for it. But you're giving aid and comfort to the enemy. As you know, these guys escaped from the colonists' camp and were taken in by the by these Mennonites. Um, what would you do? What do you think happened to these guys? Okay. Trying for treason. <laughs> I, they wanted to be. Tre- well, they, yeah, they we were heavily fined. <laughs> They were heavily fined, and they were—they served time in prison. So they were willing to, um, for what they believed in. Again, misguided, I think. To, to that extent, as they were, they did—they—they they didn't back down, and so they did serve that time. As a matter of fact, it was George Washington who got their time and their fines reduced. So, go figure, right? Um, Anthony. Benazat, he's a Quaker preacher. He was one of the most outspoken critics of the war, and he said this quote: "Christ enjoins us to love our enemies." So, what do you do with passages like that? To love our enemies, to bless those who curse us, to um, feed the hungry, to give to, to give them cold water in the name of Christ. He goes on to say, "War requires that votaries, in other words, those devoted." Um, that kill, destroy, and lay waste. So, war requires that we do that. And here's the Christian ethic, or you know, here's what Christ commands to, to love our enemies, to turn the other cheek, to, to clothe and feed. But then there's no context of war. And Jesus said, There's a time to take up the sword, and there's, there's just causes. So we can get into all that, but not tonight. But so you had the pacifists, you had the Quakers that, that played that part. So, again, you have to admire at least their conviction. If you want to say, I don't agree with uh, what they did, but uh, at least they're not the, the functional cowards, anyway, at least most of them. Um, just here as we kind of come to the end I, I want—I just want to talk a little bit about the faith of the founding fathers as well um, most of the founding fathers were religious like most people were at that time at least they respected religion they recognized the need for strong morality at least so uh, I'll give you the quote you tell me who said it mm, you guys don't get to um, Chad and Jason but our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people it is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Who do you think said that? I know, it's hard. I'm... Go ahead, good It was John Adams, the second president. Now, he was a deist, at least. He was pretty private with his religion, but he was not like a Puritan. But he had that. he understood, as most of the founding fathers did, that you need a moral and religious people. Well, what's happened to America? Where are we at now? This is one of the reasons this experiment this representative republic has to have that foundation. Um, so that we're crumbling in, in so many ways. And it just boom, 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 one after another. Because if you don't have that morality which is scripture, they had it at that time and they were conservative in that way. But again, the contention is, look, the, the Puritans had the Christians had it because that is the, the solid rock foundation that's built on. And if you have that, in the name of Christ and you have government in that way um, soundly on those principles and defending those principles then you're going to have a better opportunity to have what? But that's post-millennialism. <laughs> that's like bringing the key. So there's always that struggle right there. But, but even these guys recognize that without that this kind of government is not going to last or prosper. I mean, we're still a very young country in many respects, right? Testing it out right now. Yeah, it's, there's a real test right now of it, and it's really, yeah. You know, um, <laughs> <Well, laughs> most empires don't last more than 250 years. Uh, we're not well, about at that time. <laughs> 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 Canada's proud to, like to see that you know we want to see a revival. We're not giving up hope. We have people that um, I'm talking to Kirsten today. A lot more people. It's, I think it's one of those things of Saul Linsky, like. We seem to be so outnumbered because you have the elites and the media, and it just makes it seem that everybody's, you know, progressive and heading towards Marxism. But that's not true. There are so many, so many conservatives, and st- those who still have a moral basis and foundation, and you know, kind of are seeing that and they're being moved, like with school board meetings and uh, what parents are doing, and they're standing up against. So you know, not all hope is lost in, in, in God's providence. So we have to fight the good fight in that way. Um, Again, Adams wasn't a Christian. He was ambivalent about Christianity. Um, he believed religion could be a force for good, good in individual lives and society at large. So it's kind of a force for good. It can be in that way. Uh, what about some of the signers of the Constitution? We mentioned John Witherspoon. He was a Presbyterian minister, the only minister to sign, to sign the Constitution. Charles Carroll, um he was a prominent Roman Catholic layman, the only Roman Catholic to sign the Constitution, uh, but he was religious in that way. Roger Sherman—he was a strong Christian. He was a member of the church that Jonathan Edwards Jr. pastored and shepherded. That so, so you had—I'm you know, the Roman Catholic, but you had Witherspoon was a Reformed Presbyterian. He was—he was strong. Um, Sherman was was a strong Christian. Uh, but then you had John Jay, the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. Uh, they were low churchy uh, Anglicans. In other words, they weren't high church. They um, they would kind of be more conservative, if you want to put it in, in, in that way. So so there was a, a faith there. Anglican, though. No. Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, they had great respect for religion and the faith, yet they did not believe. Um as a matter of fact, they kind of had a distrust of traditional religion and very skeptical of a bunch of clergy, which you can't necessarily blame them. They questioned the motives of so many pastors and um, like their, their hunger for power and so forth. So you know they were very skeptical of that. Uh, they were committed to reason, to faith and reason, but like really faith based upon reason, as it were, and... Um, um, and so, yeah, they they were basically deists. We'll talk about deism just a little bit because we do have time for that. But um, just famously, guess this is just real easy tonight. You are know, just kind of going through this in a light way. Um, how many of you have heard of the Jefferson Bible? Oh yeah, you've all heard about the Jefferson Bible. I know you have. Um, but but that goes to the core. And again, like for me, like as as a pastor, as a Christian, this is that. Separate, this is why we're Christian first, and this is why you need that that. That strong, not just moral foundation, but a moral foundation that's based on Christianity, because that is the only true foundation that's going to last. Otherwise, again, like we're seeing now, you can come in with other arguments, and if you're not standing on the solid ground of Christ, you'll be shifted. Because what makes yours so good? What makes yours better than mine, ultimately? We're really seeing that in spades now in our nation with other kind of religions coming in. But uh, Jefferson, he he denied the essential doctrines of the Trinity, of, of Scripture, including the Trinity, the deity of Christ, and especially miracles. He just denied. He didn't believe in them. He said of miracles, quote, they are a groundwork of vulgar, and by vulgar he means lack of sophistication or, you know, unrefined, you know, just kind of you little people over there that don't, don't know too much, uneducated in that way, uh, a groundwork of vulgar ignorance of things impossible, of superstitions. And then he goes on in that quote to kind of bash that more. Yet, he asserted, he said, quote, I am a real Christian, but he clarified that. He says, that is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus. Whatever that means, um, you know, uh, I know what he's trying to say, but for being a smart, he's huh? <laughs> Is that Jesus is a good teacher. Yes, exactly, you know, That's I guess. But, you know, to, you can't separate Jesus' teaching and his miracles. But, um But he say you discover the real Jesus, the essence and usefulness of teaching when you get rid of such silly things as miracles. The unreasonable, unreasonable, like you can't, they don't make sense to us, aspect of the Bible. Floating axe heads, like you know, axe heads floating and not, not sinking. Seas parting. Blind men receiving sight. Dead men being raised. Can you say something, Jesus? Okay. I thought you raised your just fixing your glasses. Um, so kind of the Sermon on the Mount teaching. That's kind of what he what he would focus in on, right? Selflessness, sacrifice, Christian value. Value of, of hard work, honesty, you know, kind of in, in, in keeping with the commandments of, you know, being faithful, being true, being this and that and the other thing. Uh, those are the those are the good things, uh, the good qualities of, of, of being selfless, you know, kind of you know, sharing, being, being caring for others, all those things. So he went and made his own adjustments to the Gospels. Um, and it was for his own use. I mean, he, he wasn't trying to get this published or anything, but... You know what he did. What did he literally do? Cut a pair of scissors. And he cut out the parts that he did not agree with. Isn't that cool? I mean, I I love Jefferson in many ways. I mean, our kids went to Thomas Jefferson. (laughs) TJ. But man, you talk about the height of arrogance. My goodness.
1: Wow. How could you, you know, well... No, I'm just gonna get I oh, Wait, I'm... yeah, today. You know, it's... that's
0: profound heterodoxy. I mean, it's heresy. And, um, you know, especially the, the miracles. Like, if you just get rid of those, now the Bible's gonna be useful to us and make sense. Tell us how how to have a, a good. But you can't. I mean, I'm reading through Matthew. You can't. You can't separate. I mean, you can't. The teachings lead into the miracles. The miracles reflect the, the teaching of Christ. It's, it's a package deal, dude. Sorry. Um, can't can't cut that out. So that, again, this is, I think we're seeing the fruits of that kind of thinking as, as we come to, to where we're at today. Um, James Madison, he's the principal author of the Constitution, as you well know. Um, again, Jefferson's successor to the uh, president. He was the, the fourth president. Uh, but he was, and this is, what do you make of this? He was intensely private about his religion. What do you think about people who make their religion, to them, their religion, is, it's a private matter, it's intensely private to me. What's that an indication of to you? I believe. <laughs> he gets right to the point. <laughs> he doesn't mess around. <laughs> <laughs> and why? I mean, it's just inconsistent and contrary to what we're to be as Christians. Given the
1: ministry of reconciliation, <laughs> Jesus has <laughs> a <to> football game, <laughs> so I exactly. do that privately.
0: That's not a good sign, and somebody tells you, "Oh, I'm very religious, but it's very private. That's, I'm private about my religion." Well, then you know you're in big trouble at that point. Um, yeah, although he was an ardent supporter of religious liberty, and, and, and you know, in, in that context, Jason it's like no comment, but you have yeah.
1: I'll let that know of comments and other things, so like yeah. pretending the secular that. Yeah, it's just,
0: and especially as, as Christians, you know, they, well, it's, it's pride. It's between me and God. Well, you know, that tells me right away, ultimately, it, 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 ultimately, but right away, it's unbelief because now you're just like, we need to be shouting it from the rooftops. We can't be ashamed or um, embarrassed of our faith. We need to be proclaiming, just like Chad said. So um, again, these, these are guys, good guys, but... Uh, on the separation of church and state... Again, what was the big deal there? We're not, we're not going to get into Jefferson's letter or anything like that. That came a little bit later on to the um, Baptists. But um, um, this is Madison. There's a quote from Madison. But again, what was the big deal for them? What was the big concern? They didn't want, they
1: didn't want the, the, the
0: government yeah. to start interfering with matters that belong to the church. That's right. That's right. And that and that was a real push from the Puritans, obviously. Well, the Congregationalists, the Presbyterians, especially, you know, because they. And that's what's so unique about. I mean, really, from early on in, in Christianity, that you finally have the state not directly involved in in the faith, as it were. But it's the faith that's kind of affecting the state. Want to put it that way? And early on, there was a, a, a Christian ethos, and that's why, in so many ways, we are the country that we were. <laughs> and hopefully, tax we'll become. exemption came along, control. Uh-huh. Churches with tax exemption. That's well, yeah. I mean, but, and that's why once we give something up to the government, that's that's how they get in for sure. But even that corruption, I mean, the church had a lot more influence on the state. Right, because the, the, the freedom of the church, and again, the, the foundation of our constitution, bill of rights, our laws so much is based on scripture, and, and so much of that. That again, it's much better to live under a Christian ethos than a Marxist ethos, which is, which is coming. Um, people might not like it oh, you're so strict, oh, you have laws against adultery, oh, you have laws against homosexuality, oh, you have laws against gambling. Okay, you know. Um. Yeah, now not, and, and now when when you're imposing, if you want to put it in quotes, imposing Christian values, you have order, you have structure, you have freedom, and you have laws that are just and there's equality under that under the laws. When you have a Christian ethos. right? You might not like it if you're a bad guy or if you're doing something simple, you're not gonna like it but that's why they're there. <laughs> you know, and it's to maintain order and structure. Parameters. Huh? Parameters. Parameters. Hedges. Oh, and, and when, any way you want to put it. And we have a sound system. And that's why we have the checks and balances in our government. That's why we have the judicial system, the court system, based on the witnesses. That's right out of uh, the Pentateuch and Proverbs. Right? That's it. And it's right and it's just. So I would, we would you much. We would much rather want to live under that kind of system that allows for freedom. You go ahead, you work hard, you keep what you earn. You know whatever in taxes you need to pay, minimal, okay, right? That's the Christian ethos. God, you Jeff. give up. You, you give up something so
1: simple as bodily autonomy, where now the government's telling you that you get the death penalty if you don't take this shot. Yeah. We don't let you saying? work. You, can, you don't have. You don't have to take a shot, but. You
0: get going to yeah. See, and that's what we've come to. That, th- these guys will be ruling in their graves, you know, mm. as it were. Um, so, so that, that that's kind of the ideal, because you know we're really getting bad now. America, this America, that. That's why people are coming to this country still in droves. This is this is the land. Of, of true freedom and opportunity but it's really our Christian foundation that has allowed for this why do you think our advances took place, had taken place What do you think all the colleges and schools were founded so you know more about God and his creation even if it's not just for preparing the ministers it was that primarily especially the higher education uh, the colleges and universities but even beyond that it was about discovering God's world so science was done through a Christian perspective providential perspective, seeing God's hand in all of these things, giving glory to God and how he's made the universe, right? Now it's not like that anymore. So, yeah. um, Yeah, you definitely want a Christian ethos because we might find out what it's... I mean, there still is to a degree, I guess, um, but we don't want the church and state. Now the state is regulating and once you give in to the state, it's nice to have tax exemption, but like... I don't know, Andy, you might feel stronger than I do about this, but I i couldn't care less if they took it away from us. Oh, <laughs> if we had to be faithful, I know you would be. <laughs> I, I, yeah, if it's $2, $3, then I, I don't want to pay them. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, it's, it's nice to get that exemption, but if they threaten to take it away, if we don't do what they say, I'm ready to say, take your exemption. I mean, are we, do we, are we 501? See, do we have like that tax exemption? I don't even know if we do it. It's not 501 that's what we are. But anyway, so because we don't want to be... Because then they can start dictating, well, here's what you can and can't do, but we're going to take this away from you, and we're not going to give you this. And so we opened up the door in many ways to, to allow for, for the state to come into the church. Um, is, this was to keep the state out. And again, they, they turned on their heads and said, you know, keep the church out of the state. That was never it. We're always to influence of the state. We want Christians to be in office. We, we want to have that solemn light. That's where our foundation is. That, so, you know, people today are like, you know, oh, the church is you know, coming into the state and telling us what we can and can't do. It's not. So, uh, Madison said, we are teaching the world, and this is about separation of church and state, we are teaching the world that the great truth that governments do better without kings or nobles than with them the merit will be doubled by the other lesson that religion flourishes in greater purity without, rather than with, the aid of government. Yes, thank you, Madison. Perfect. Why can't it just be like that? We to go back to this. Now, this was a new way of thinking. Before this, by and large, church and state were one. We know that from our history. Way back to the Roman Empire. Um, to, to the Roman church. But, um, um, the, the church and state were basically one, um, you had to practice that religion. If you were in a Catholic country, you had to practice that. And, and like even uh, later on in other countries, you didn't, till, till m- later you had more freedom to practice the religion you um, were convicted under. Uh, again, in, in, in the states where, um, like even Lutheran countries, Roman Catholic, it's the state that pays for the buildings. It's not the people, they don't go raising money, they don't raise your taxes and everything like that. But you don't take a donation, like we have a building fund in our church. We're not getting money from the government. The government doesn't pay my salary. These people were paid, uh, ministers were paid by that. And that's when we talk about the, um, the triumph of the laity, that's, that's one of those aspects. Now it's the laity. And I think that's a good thing by and large. Sometimes, you know, if you get a crazy congregation, they could do a lot of damage. But if you have a bad pastor, you could do a lot of damage too. But I prefer, and this is more, it's kind of even if you think about our government structure, it's more like that. It's it's really from the people um, and, and for the people. It's not the pastors coming in and imposing, oh, here's your new priest. Here's your new um minister he's coming in now here's your new bishop no it's not like that you have to vote and then you vote how much you're going to pay your pastor and you're voting where we're going to meet right? and, and, that's, and that's how it's settled so that's what they mean by the triumph of the laity uh, in the pews in that way because um, it wasn't like that until I mean you know, I guess it's a Roman church whenever we'll I want to talk about that um, uh, through, through, through history in that way um, government puts a lot of pressure on churches right The government uses the church in so many ways in some of these countries they put moral pressure on them to do there's still state churches in so many communist countries you can go to a church in China but what's that church going to teach or not teach <laughs> right yes. Got it? yeah right so, so when the state gets involved they can do all kinds of things in the name of religion you know talk to Hitler could um, you just, Go on and on in that way. So whatever the church does has to be done with the support of the people. That's really the triumph of the laity. And I think that that's not a bad thing. It leads to charitable giving. You're giving from the heart as your relationship to the Lord. Um, you're not forced to tithe. You know, there's places that tithe, even to this day, I mean, when we're Roman Catholic, they would, if you. they didn't care if you were in the pews. <laughs> they just—they just were worried about their checks coming in. If you didn't tithe, you might get a letter from your um, diocese. You know, well, we haven't received your tithe or whatever your, your check. So, got get. Did you ever get one of those in? What a pledge! They just expect you to tithe. If you're a part of that parish, you're expected to give money. They squeeze everybody, and then yeah, like then they're like, we're gonna raise two billion dollars in our area, and yeah.
1: uh, they try to force people, they to guilt people into.
0: Making even more money. Yeah, and then make sure that you're doing. Yeah, see, and that's that. And again, you can see with the Puritans and the American Constitution form of government, all kind of plays into this. Even even within the church structures, um, there's that there's that kind of biblical framework and freedom. Like they would go back to the Book of Acts, especially uh, in terms of the churches and so forth. So, so tithing is is voluntary. It's, It's between you and the Lord. Um, volunteer, volunteerism, that's a big deal. America, we're such a generous, gracious, giving country more than any other ever in, this, in, in, in the history of this world. How gracious America is, how much it sends out to others. Now they're getting very irresponsible with that, but you know, doing good, bringing people into our country. We, there's so much immigration to our country. There's so much good about the hospitals. If you think about the, those, those services, people will come to America because we're on the forefront of that. That's rooted in Christianity, the care for life. All, there's so much good, and it's and so much as, when, when there's natural disasters, it's, it's America that gives, and Americans who give. We have the Red Cross, we have the Salvation Army, tons of charitable organizations, that's volunteerism. That comes out of this, that's a great legacy uh, really from, from the Revolutionary War from that time even to today, people freely giving of their time, of their talents, of their resources to help others. When it's the state running it, well, that's compulsory. That's you have to give, and we're going to come after you, and you must do this. And we're going to raise your taxes this much, and you're going to make sure you do this. Right? You see it? It's exactly what I... So, uh, the formation of a nation, the founding principles were and are biblical... Um, so it's, 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 it's the three um, institutions, it's the family, it's the church, it's the government given by God. We realize that and understand that. Out of the Revolutionary War also, especially after the Second Great Awakening, we see the rise of different denominations that come along. Uh, there was a strong deist movement as well at this time. And, um, you know, just just so you know, real quick, just a couple minutes, you guys know what deism is, don't you? What is that? That's why they...
1: Yeah, there's, there's a God.
0: Yeah, the, the, well, the whole idea, and this is where the deists come, is God was nature's God. And see that, you can see that language in our early documents. Nature's God, as, as the Declaration of Independence put it, puts it, um, who had created humankind. Um, the, again, they were sincere moralists and, and humanitarians, a lot of the, the deists, but it's the view that God does exist. Or a ray of God exists. Uh, he created the universe, but He's not directly involved in the world. He does not interfere in the world. He's the great clockmaker, a blind watchmaker. A blind watchmaker creates it, winds it up, and kind of lets it go. Mm-hmm. They deny the inspiration of Scripture, uh, the, the major doctrines, the essential doctrines, of the deity of Christ, the Trinity, um, resurrection. They deny miracles it's the logical position, right? That's what it is. Um, because they, this way they avoid the hard stuff because since God is so distant, he doesn't interfere, he's out there um, somewhere, but he's, he's kind of let us go. For them, um, I guess in their view positively, it kind of gets God off the hook for the, for, for the enlightened ones. First of all, it's silly and superstitious to believe in so many of the miracles and, and supernatural elements of scripture, number one. But number two, it's like, um, if God was here, then, then why, why do we have the floods? Why do we have the evil? Why do bad things come? Why do innocent people suffer in that way? So for them, it's kind of like, he started us, he let us go. That's why, because he's not, he's not gonna intervene. We have to work this out on our own, right? We, we have to do this. Um, we're enlightened people. We're scientific people, um, you know, so, so, so we can figure this out. And, and that's kind of like man's progress. That's, and this is the delusion and a dilemma, right? As man gains more knowledge, as he gains more insight, as he gains more wisdom, as he gains more understanding, then what's supposed to be... It's like kind of the, the whole theme of Star Trek, especially the original Star Trek, you know? Um, that, that mankind is going to, by his discoveries, as time goes on, what's going to happen? Think of eschatological view. Better and better, utopia, it's always going to be, you know, we're, 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 we're getting rid of the silly religion that causes so much trouble. We understand uh, disease better in this way. If you just use a rational, logical mind, then people won't hate each other as much as they do. We'll just educate them, we'll train them from a young age that this is wrong and this is whatever, right? So that we're just going to get better and better as mankind progresses because of the discoveries, because of we're enlightened and smart. Well, what the heck has happened? Where do we find ourselves now? It's Worse. Saying, yeah. Because that's that's a faulty worldview. And that, that's where the deists went wrong, I think. Because these guys were optimistic. They had that utopian eschatology. If we just do this, then things will get better. Right? It's going to be, mankind is going to progress. And there are places, of course. You know, scientifically, we, we you know, in all these ways. But still, they don't mm. account for the sin nature that man is sinful. And he's always going to be sinful until he's regenerated by Jesus Christ, right? That's what we understand. So no matter how far you come in advance, no matter how much you're able to do this, look, even because of our sinfulness in some ways, we have things that we could be doing to help sustain life, and we're not doing that for political or uh, other reasons, right? So, because man is still inherently sinful, and that's always going to be a problem. There's murder, just like they murdered back then. They're murdering now, maybe even more. Look at abortion, and it doesn't matter because we're sinful and we need Christ. So, um, deist doesn't doesn't um, doesn't cut it, man. Yeah, I'm just
1: thinking. Is, do you, would you say that Deism could be a more rational form of of plagiarism? Because there are some elements. I'm thinking that, if you were saying, like it's all up to me. It's all up to this. yeah. I, I
0: think logically. I mean, it, it goes to that. I mean, if you, logically. Um, Arminianism what did you say? Pelagian. Pelagianism yeah. and, and I think even to Arminianism goes to Pelagianism kind of goes to Deism mm. that's why you need to be Calvinistic <laughs> that's why you have to have just that reformed view yeah. when, when John in, in the gospel John was uh,
1: appealing to Jesus being the Logos it's essentially Deism hmm. is the Logos they, and, and John said, "No, no. God did. There is a logic to the universe. There, the, the, the Logos is the second person of the Trinity. Yes, and He is not an impersonal God. He didn't just wind the world up and let it go. He's a very personal God. He clothed Himself
0: with human flesh and dwelt among us. Yes, and He's intimate. and And He has decreed, and through His providence, everything that happens." According Happens according to his decree and it's being worked out for his glory. So he's very imminent and personal as well. And that's that's the Christian perspective, and that makes sense. Um so yeah, we're we'll getting a little off track again, but that's okay. This was a good off track. Um so, so yeah. Uh, so so is really, it's man's knowledge replacing faith. Well, yeah, ultimately that is, and it's very it I mean, listen. Listen to the uh, like the intro to Star Trek. You know, um, to go where no man has gone before. So I, I forget the line and, and the introduction to the original series of Star Trek, but it's it's like so man centered. We're going to discover. We're going to find out. We're going to make it better, right? Um, so so they were very deistic there. They, they, they had this thing like this theory that the, these planters planted these. Um, Societies of humans and then kind of moved on. That's that's yeah. Well, that's bad I didn't know about it. In a lot
1: of in a lot of ways, all those advancements just have given man more power and capacity to
0: sin. It goes both yeah. ways. That's right. So so that's power used in a sinful way. If you use your powers for good, I always say that. Then we're in good shape. But that that they can go just the other way with that too, right? And use that for evil and destroy, like where we're at right now just like anything else. And so, without that Christian perspective, without, I would say, biblical, you want to call it reformed, that's fine, perspective, everything else falls short. So, like even the Arminianism, consistently and logically, you end up a Pelagian, and then you end up kind of a deist too, like logically. it's just, You're just out there. And it becomes man-centered. If I could do anything, if I'm not fully, holy, fully, holy, reliant on God for all things, then eventually it's going to go just like dominoes because it's about us what we see man does what he sees fit in his own eyes what seems right to him and we're kind of at that point just like in judges at that time there was no king in israel they weren't honoring god right they weren't looking to him they were doing what was right in their own eyes and it gets bad until you repent call on god that's why i love being christian that's why i love our message um and as we move into the early 1800s, uh, the time, you can see around the 1820s, the time was right in the 1840s especially, but starting there, the time was right for another spiritual awakening. Uh, this spiritual awakening is a lot different than the first one, uh, religiously, spiritually, and with the lasting consequences. So when we come back in the spring, Lord willing, we'll start, uh, probably do a class on, um, maybe on, Christianity and slavery, that whole ideal and idea, I'm praying about that. Um, or we may just go right into the second great awakening and then everything that flowed out of that, which has major, huge implications for where we're at today and evangelicalism, for sure. And even the um, kind of downgrade and the Calvinistic view being less popular just being overtaken by the Arminian view, especially with the Methodists, who went out and, and really evangelized. And Anyway, we'll talk about that next time. Any other questions or comments? Thanks again, guys. I love you that you take time to, uh, out of your busy schedules to, to come to class. Thanks for tuning in, everybody online. Um, this is good stuff. And make sure, even if you're online, to get the outlines because that, that will serve you well. I've said this in the beginning. We've kind of designed the outlines to give you like a skeletal frame of church history in the different periods, it'll at least help you get to the place where you can dig deeper. You kind of have a framework, uh, an outline, obviously, of, of history with important points. So if you don't have the outlines, talk to Andy, Michelle. They can get you all the outlines. That could be your own personal thing that you have um, to go from. And uh, yeah, we'll go from there. So see ya. We'll I'll see you on Sunday, but this class will be back in the spring. So let's pray.